0: It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses.
1: Element. Element.
2: Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. And thank you all for joining us today here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. If you are listening to the show on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, and or if you are listening From one of the other radio stations now carrying Moment of Truth, we welcome you as well as if you are now listening on the iHeartRadio app where you can download the app and then follow us anywhere. We're happy to have you with us and uh, or if you are listening on your favorite podcast platform. All listeners are welcome here on Moment of Truth. It is also a pleasure to welcome back to the show someone we haven't had on for quite some time. Mr. Drew Hayden-Taylor is with us to talk about a new initiative that he has undertaken and will be soon premiering on the Aboriginal People's Television Network. In fact, it's going to be premiering on uh, Saturday, May 8th of this year, 2021. It is a 13-episode series entitled Going Native, starring Mr. Taylor. So it's a pleasure to have Drew with us on the show. Drew, welcome back to the show. On e, David. Yeah, on e. Hey, you know, uh, again, you have been busy. You, of course, are an award-winning playwright, novelist, and journalist, and now and filmmaker, and now a TV host. It's great to have uh, this this series coming forward called Going Native. And you know, Drew, throughout your career, as I I mentioned, you're you're. you're not only a playwright, a novelist, but you're a humorist as well. And before we get into this show entitled Going Native and why you decided to bring this forward, I was wondering a little bit about humor. Can we talk about humor for a moment? Definitely. Great. I'm wondering, as someone that has been on the stage, writing for the stage, and and doing things for film, etc., etc., what is it like for you to be... That person. And what I mean by that is that that person that is in a room with, that that is being expected to be the humorist.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you put it like that. On this particular show, going native, one of the things they often ask me to do is when we're doing a segment, I have to intro each segment, but I have to wing it because I come up with the intro based on the um, the interview and what we've hmm. shot. So after we're finished, one of the one of the uh, the cameraman and producer, the director, whoever is there, will say to me, "Okay, Drew, uh, we need an intro to this segment. Uh, so um, uh, prepare something and be funny." <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got five minutes. So it's like, oh, 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 crap! So I have to go off and do do something like that. So it can be quite intimidating at at the time. And I, re- I remember once it was, uh, I think it was Mike Myers who was uh, somebody was uh, c- commenting, "Are you like this all the time?" Mm. And he said, "No, I am what you call a site specific extrovert, meaning." Um, you know, sometimes when I'm just hanging out or whatever, I'm very calm, very slow. It's kind of funny, maybe here or there, hopefully, but it's uh, it's uh, it takes up a lot of energy and a lot of brain brain space and time. So uh, I'm funny when I have to be, and I'm calm when I when I when I have the time to be.
2: Mm. Right, well I appreciate you you sharing that because I often think about people that are in that position and and are they you know because people are looking at you expecting, right? Expecting a mm-hmm. line, expecting something funny to come out of your mouth or expecting that uh, quick quip or whatever it might be and and i and so i was just wondering geez what what must it be like for people that are in that position all the time
0: well one of the other things i like to draw um, i like to draw comparison with is the fact that like my family compared with my family my mm. my aunts and uncles when they used to be around or some of my cousins it's like you know i'm just i'm just one of of a of a <laughs> A bunch of people. I'm no funnier. Yep. Hopefully, no less funny. But it's it's just the nature of my family, and mm. I think it's it's the nature of most indigenous people that you get a group of us together, and we're just always always doing line liners mm. and and trying to be funny, and um, and it's just that I think the nature of, of of being indigenous, the fact that we find humor in everything.
2: Yeah now you know I noticed in one of the series that you're doing on the show Going Native and 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 I must say that in terms of the different elements that you find yourself in in throughout this series and just to give people a kind of sense of of the, this 13 part series, it goes from architecture to music, to fashion, uh, business, the horses and, and, and um, gourmet cooking, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, and I have to say that I, I had to watch this one. And that is one, the one going going storytelling. Okay, and, and I, if you don't mind me saying, Drew, you seemed the most comfortable in that particular episode. <laughs> Quite possibly,
0: uh, we were sitting around. Wasn't it uh, Lee Miracle and, uh, and yep. Duncan McHugh yep. and Colombo? Um, and I uh, yep. we were sitting around a fire, just yep. uh,
2: just tossing stories uh, back and forth at each other. It was, but the, you know where I where I found you to be the most comfortable. If you, do, and this is just my. My own perspective, as I watched the the series and, and watched you going through these things, was with uh, Ken Ken Williams, you and him oh. sitting on stage together. <laughs> Well, Ken's
0: an old friend of mine. I remember him when he was just starting. And yeah, it's always, one of the one of the, the fringe benefits of the series is that just the opportunity to hang out with old friends. Mm. As I said, Lee Miracle and Klumpa and, and Duncan are old friends of mine. Hang out with Ken. That yep. was fun. We had, a, we had a good time doing it, making each other laugh. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. that was one of the enjoyable side benefits of the series.
2: Yeah, and, and I think that showed up. That's what I guess what I was trying to get to. And I, I know Ken too, you know. I used to work with him in Ottawa when uh when he and I both worked uh, for APTN uh, in news. So uh, right, it, was right. great. it was great to see Ken as well. So getting back to the series and the reason as to why you wanted to bring this forward. Who is this being written for? Because there, there's the stories that are that you're telling that are specifically and and really great stories about all the things that indigenous people are doing it's great exposing all these these great wonderful people in all these different areas that are that are doing some amazing things for sure uh but do you still think it's because of the stereotype that is out there
0: well it's a number of reasons one was i found it just a wonderful opportunity to highlight the different aspects of the various Indigenous communities across this country. I mean, um, we talk about how in this series you'll meet, meet some of the wild and wacky people. You'll meet some very traditional people. You'll meet some avant-garde people. You'll meet people of every of many different stripes within our communities that are doing amazing, fun um bizarre spectacular um things that um need to be highlighted and celebrated so for indigenous people this is like these are probably people in your community you don't know are there these are gourmets that are using traditional food to 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 um using traditional food as a means of keeping our culture and our ways alive, mm. there are architects that are that are designing contemporary houses, contemporary buildings using centuries-old um, uh, philosophies and technologies. I, you know, and we have people who work with horses. We have um, take you know we have fashion. One of the things I like about the fashion is that we're basically culturally appropriating the fashion world and the pop culture world. We're culturally. Mm. Creating filmmaking and doing indigenous zombie movies, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one of the things we're doing. We're doing um, on one aspect, we're, we're we're highlighting. The different aspects of our culture that we are the indigenous people might not be familiar with, but for non-indigenous people, we're creating sort of a window of, of uh, that they can look through to see that the, the how the many different facets, the many different. Um, um, ways and, and 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 aspects of our culture that they did not think existed that there's so many different ways of exploring our culture and we want to give them a window into those different ways
2: hmm. now you you mentioned across this country but in fact you travel all around north america and uh, you get into some some pretty uh some pretty great uh areas of the country and show us some wonderful things uh, from New Mexico to the Arctic and and all places in between, and and I have to admit that uh, you know the one thing that I that I really thought was interesting uh, was going to the, this Winnipeg in, in the last series of going beyond and seeing this, the the petro uh, forms and those kind of things that I didn't realize they were there.
0: Neither did I. Yes, wow. um, uh, that's a place near Winnipeg where there's sort of um, rocks shaped in very specific designs representing the the cosmology, the mythology mm. of the local people. I had not known those existed. And going there and hearing the stories, the legends, supposedly there's a rock there that's in the shape of a, of a chair that, that uh, the trickster actually sat in at one <laughs> point. Um, no, yeah, the, this was as much a learning experience experience for me as for anybody who's going to watch this series.
2: Thank you for saying that because that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you about is is what you have come away with from having gone through this experience and and, and being exposed to all of this thing. What what jumps out at you? Uh, the fact how old and infirm I am.
0: <laughs> we did a ho- we did several segments. We did a canoe segment, and there, at, at various times in the year we shot this. I think it's four different times. I mean, four different kinds of canoes, including a traditional um, uh, uh, birch bark canoe. And I, I, this is this is not a this is a fifty eight year old body that's not used to. Um, sitting in a canoe and doing things. Another time, they had me on horses, riding a horse. I'm, my, I don't come from horse people. So the 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 more of this show that I was a part of, the more I realized. Again, as I said, how old I am. Uh, in many cases, being the host of a show like this
2: should be a young person's adventure, not a not an old fogey like me. Well, uh, well at least uh, you know, I have to I have to say there were a couple of times when I thought, Who, who's who's helping Dr- uh, Drew with the show to, to make sure he's prepared for some of these outings <laughs> because you know you, you're standing there with your open opened uh toed uh, sandals and you've got this uh rattlesnake i know <laughs> i know you should
0: have seen the camera like i didn't know we were going to do this and the cameramen are just shaking their head but then eh, whatever whatever
2: happens happens it's just another <laughs> story to tell the grandkids yeah make sure you get it on tape right <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> now, having said that, I'm glad you brought up the crew. I wanted to ask you about the crew and, and what was that like? Because you're going out into the wild, some of these places, you know, when you went uh, going bush, you were out there with a guy, uh, you know, building that lean-to. Uh, what was the crew like with you? Is it, was it a single person? How did How did that work?
0: Well, basically, we have two cameramen and 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 they do the sound too. Mm. And frequently, we have one or two of the producers with us and myself. And uh, I mean, you know, this is a great. Uh, this was a great opportunity to 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 hang together, to learn each other. I mean, driving through the American Southwest, mm. driving through the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, we really bonded. And these are very very experienced, knowledgeable crew um, who knew what they were doing, and they made the uh they made a lot of the the um the segments we were doing so easy and so fun mm. too and had a great sense of humor mm. and uh, one of one of them is is metis so we would uh, he was sort of giving giving us the metis perspective on all the things we were doing. Um, yeah, the crew was just amazing. And I find it such, so beautifully shot, too, mm, thanks is. to uh, Sam Carney, the, the director of photography. He just sort of brings a very unique and beautiful eye when he was shooting things.
2: You mentioned Métis. When you spoke to the Métis guy and the sashes uh, and what he was doing. That uh, they were made in Peru. Yeah, and how he was helping people down there. I thought that was a really cool
3: story.
0: I know. Now, that's that's international cooperation. If have ever yeah. heard it, for those who aren't familiar with what we're talking about, there's a there's a Métis businessman who um, who sells sashes and belts and all sorts of things, usually associated with traditional Métis culture. But in order to make them, he has them made in Peru at this um, isolated village by the indigenous people of that community. And he pays them a good, solid wage to the point where many of the people who are mostly Single mothers mm-hmm. um, are are able to um, send their kids to real school, are able to buy housing, are able are able to live a decent life in 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 a in a country in a community where single indigenous mothers frequently have nowhere to go or or find it difficult to survive. So that's one of those just win win situations.
2: And it's a wonderful story, not only because of that, Drew, but because of the The example he is setting as a business person, because it's pointed out in that particular story about... You know, not as long, only is he helping these people and paying them a good wage, as you mentioned, that they can then help maybe put their kids through school, which they didn't have the opportunity to do. But the thing, yeah, is, and
0: then they, you know, what do they call it? Pay it forward, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is definitely a win-win
2: situation. He, he makes
0: enough money that he his company can survive, that he can pull a salary, and that he can help these people survive. And so, I just I personally, as a humorist, I just love the irony of this tradition traditional Makey apparel is being made by um, by Peruvian
2: Indians, mm. for lack of a better term. And and it's a it's a it's a it's a happy story. It is. The 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 thing that got me though, because you asked him and I think it was brought up, how long have you been doing this? I've been doing this for 13 years and I have yet to take home a salary. That's what I was getting at in terms of there's a guy who not only paying it forward, but he is putting others before himself. He doesn't think about his own profit first. He's thinking about others and helping others. And yet he is keeping his business going and keeping himself alive. That's what I thought was really cool about that. I know. I totally, I
0: totally agree. It's these, it's these, uh, these stories. These stories are one of the reason we do something like this, where you, you, you see one person helping another group of people, and um, it, it it hopefully lights a way for other people to do the
2: same thing. I think they're they're shining examples of what uh, has been missed in this world of of profit only. Mm -hmm.
0: Totally, totally
2: Now, uh, also, uh, Drew, you mentioned the writing And you're involved with the writing Now, um, tell me about that Tell me, go back to the beginning of this How did it all come about? Um, well, um, two of the producers, uh, Kurt Spinrath
0: and um, Paul Kemp, we've worked on a couple of projects prior to this. We worked on a documentary called Searching for Winnetou about mm. the German fascination with North American Aboriginal culture. And right. it was very, very successful. And then we followed that up with another documentary. These are first CBC uh, documentaries, the show called POV. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we, the second documentary we did was sort of um, based on a play I wrote called Cottagers and Indians, yep. and it dealt with um, sort of native non-native interactions, uh, conflicts regarding land and water usage, and um, basically, APTN really liked our style of, of how we we're approaching it, how we we're dealing with it, and they they asked us to submit a proposal for a series, and so we did that. We decided to call it Going Native, and they really liked the proposal. And they gave us the money to go ahead and do this. And they liked uh, they liked what we did. The first season, they liked so much that it gave us money to do a second season without the first season uh, even being um, um, broadcast. Because the first episode of season one um, is being broadcast on May 8th. Right. So the, 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 they were so confident with the final product that they said, go ahead and do a second season. That's great. That's good news. And- and that's what I'm doing here in
2: uh, in Winnipeg. We were, we're starting
0: production on season two. Oh,
2: great. That's, that's great. Um, and, and yeah, I know there was a bit of a, a trick uh, trying to get the, uh, this, this interview set up with you because I know you were traveling and you were, you were doing some things. So uh, yeah. I'm very grateful that we were able to finally get the time to do this. I'm just going to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and my guest here on the show is Drew Hayden-Taylor. We're talking about a new series that he is hosting, and it will be premiering on Saturday, May on aptn the aboriginal people's television network is entitled going native and uh, drew of course is an award-winning playwright novelist journalist and filmmaker he's from curve lake normally i get you're still living on curve lake for the most part yes beautiful beautiful little community i love it it's a great little place it's home sweet home <laughs> for sure and uh, as drew mentioned some of those uh, things that he has uh, created in the past cottagers and indians we mentioned some of the some of the, the ones and going to be coming up we talked about architecture and music and fashion and business and uh, and storytelling and you know as you, as you and I were talking Drew this all seems that it comes back to storytelling everything every even going into the business thing the fashion because everything that you touch on has another story attached to it
0: well, that's just it. Stories are inter are, are intermingled. One can lead to another, can lead to another, mm. can lead to another. If you have a you know a traditional storyteller, they can they can start on one story and it'll seamlessly weave into another story and just keep going for days and days. If if you had days and days to listen to a story,
2: and usually they do last that long, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I love that old adage of uh, what is it? Um you still want to tell stories in the winter time. Mm-hmm. Um, Because uh, mosquitoes love stories.
2: (laughs) Okay, Drew, there's some other things I wanted to ask you about. Humor as a tool for healing and inclusion. And you point that out in the episode of Storytelling Itself. You talk about how you like to bring all of those things because you believe it's a way of making people people uncomfortable, Uh, but as well as, as getting those other elements out there that need to be brought out and need to be shared about the past, and about he can't he can't start moving forward until you get all of this, those things out there. Is there a time when humor is not appropriate? Oh, I think so. I mean, yeah,
0: yes, uh, you know, um, yes and no. I mean, you would your your first the first reaction is to say um, a funeral, but yet I have been to some funerals where the where where the funny that's when people laugh the most. Mm. I remember when my mother passed away mm-hmm. and then we were seeing the, um, the, the like, what do you call it? The um, funeral director about yes. planning my mother's funeral. And I was there with him and my partner and two aunts and two cousins, and they're all women. And we were sitting there planning my mother's funeral and we all started, we were, we were all laughing because we were remembering my mother, what she would like, what she wouldn't like, what would embarrass her. And, we were laughing very, very loud. And of course, downstairs, there was a wake happening, mm. but we were all laughing. And finally, we managed to get through the meeting and figure out how to have the funeral. And as we stood up to leave, the, um, the funeral director stood up, reached over, shook my hand. And he said to me, I don't get to say this very often, but that was fun. Mm. So, yes, there is a time not to be funny, but I think it's it's, it's just the, the, the way Native people are. We find strength, we find
2: healing in humor. Yes, indeed. Very true. So, can you tell us a little bit about what we might expect from the second season? Well, we're,
0: it's, it's in flux right now because of this whole COVID thing. Yeah, It's been a very, very, been much of a pain. We wanted to start shooting this. We got the go ahead last spring or summer mm. and we've been wanting to shoot since the fall. But for obvious reasons, we haven't been. Right. So right now we're just working on a couple of um, interesting episodes Um um, I'm just trying to think here, like we're, we're, you know, for instance, I'm going to the Inuit uh, art gallery. Oh, here, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, that's going to be really exciting. I talked with Nigan Sinclair about about this popularity of indigenous comic books and graphic novels. One of the other things we're very interested in doing, if we can pull it off um, by the end of the year in this year of COVID, is one of the one of the things we've come across is one of the ways of of, of expressing a dissatisfaction with the dominant culture, with the settler culture um, in many different countries around the world is through heavy metal there's a lot of indigenous heavy metal artists in canada in the states in australia new zealand and in central america in peru who are basically heavy metal artists but they're indigenous and they're they're singing about the the problems with society and we're hoping at some point to do a story on that but it depends when we
2: when we, we can travel yeah, for sure. I can well imagine. How else has the, the COVID situation been affecting you personally?
3: Uh, well,
0: actually, you know, um, because I haven't had the opportunity to travel a lot because of this, for this show or to do lecture or whatever, I've actually caught up on a lot of writing. In the past year, I've written a novel. I've written a collection or edited and compiled a collection of, of uh essays, um, then the post-production on the first season of Going Native. I've written a bunch of articles and essays for The Globe and Mail. Um, I have uh, written two plays, and I'm just right now adapting um, one of my plays into a feature film. So I've been keeping busy.
2: Yeah, that's great, and I've heard you know, this is an ideal time in some ways for doing those kind of things, isn't it?
0: I think so. I mean, yeah, I get to be at home, focused, not as much traveling and uh, yeah I, I know a lot I remember talking with um, one of the publishers at Random House um, Penguin last summer saying I bet you in in like this time next year there'll be an explosion of babies of divorces and novels yeah. <laughs> and she said I can't speak about uh, babies or divorces but she said I'm a little I don't I'm not sure about novels because a lot of my writers are very um, stressed out and and, mm-hmm. and nervous about this whole COVID thing mm-hmm. that they're not able to find their their inner muse to write. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I had I had no difficulty sitting down and writing.
2: Yes, I, I've heard that uh, from different people. Of course, this. Stress affects people differently and uh, Mm -hmm. artists are no different, Uh, which leads me to another thing because of the work that you've been doing and the creativity that you have had and been able to focus on. And that is from this process of of going and getting involved with uh, going native and the things that you've been seeing and experiencing, has that brought forward new ideas for you in terms of potential new projects that might come out of this on a personal level for you.
0: Oh, yes. One of the things I always tell up-and-coming writers, young writers who who are looking for advice on how to be a writer, I always try and tell them try and lead an interesting life. If you spend all your time in the basement playing video games, you're not going to have a heck of a lot to write about. So go out and see the world and have adventures and that will help you with it when you're when you're sitting down and writing. So even at my age, uh going going out and seeing the world it still provides provides me with experience with fodder for new stories definitely
2: mm. now exactly what you just said there uh the fact that you have traveled the world you've out, you've been out there you've seen things already in the last 30 years of your life and and the wonderful experiences that you've been able to have and now with this series it it, it all seems that there is so much even here in north america that One we don't know about, two hasn't been explored, and three should be getting out there. And that's just from what I've seen of watching the series. And I'm wondering how that has been for you.
0: Well, I think like like anything else, you know, our sense of humor, our writing, whatever. I think uh, between the many different variations of indigenous culture and settler culture, there are more similarities than differences. We can go all the way back to Joseph Campbell and the hero has a thousand faces and the archetypal mm-hmm. storylines, stuff like that. Or just the fact that I think um, whenever I was somewhere, some far off land, there was an interest in... North American average culture. There was a fascination with us and there was there are many similarities mm. and like you, whatever culture you go to there's a sense of family mm. they have their own sense of humor um, the, the the use of, of, of ingredients coming from the local land and to making tasty cuisine so there is more similarities than differences, I think, out there. And that's one of the things I really learned as, uh, as I traveled across this, this uh, blue marble.
2: Drew, it has been fascinating speaking with you. Uh, thank you for coming on the show and sharing about Going Native and the new series that you are hosting, which, as I mentioned, is going to be premiering on Saturday, May 8th. Do we know what time it's going to be premiering? 8.30, at? I believe. 8.30 p.m. is roughly what Drew thinks it's going to be. And I want to thank you greatly uh, for, for coming on the show, talking about this, and wish you all the best in the future with, with everything else that you're going to be involved with, Drew. Till next time, my friend. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. All right. Ona. That is the voice of Drew Hayden Taylor. He is an award-winning playwright, novelist, and journalist, as well as filmmaker. He is from Curve Lake First Nation. We got a hold of him in Winnipeg, where he is starting season two of Going Native, which is premiering on APTN, Saturday, May it's a 13-episode series. And i got to tell you, from what I saw, it's fun, entertaining, and educational. And I encourage everyone to watch it. And that is this part of the show. But please don't go away, because after the break, we're going to be coming back with more right here on Moment of Truth.
3: Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses.
1: Element. Element. Element FM.
2: Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And of course, you can also listen on the iHeartRadio app. Download the app, take us with you anywhere you go. It's also a pleasure to welcome listeners on other radio stations that now carry Moment of Truth. Always great to have you with us as well. And if you happen to listen on one of your favorite podcast platforms, great. You're also welcome. It's also a pleasure to welcome to the show Jamie Carpenter. Now, Jamie is a part of the LZ Bug Tug Craft Hockeyville Bid Committee, and we have some great news because Alcibogtug is a First Nation community on the East Coast, and they were the successful Craft Hockeyville winners this year, and they are going to get a $250,000 upgrade to their Chief Young Eagle Recreation Center that was destroyed, uh, much of it by fire. So it's great to have uh, Jamie with us here on the show and uh, talk to us about about this event, the fact that they won it, and uh, perhaps some of the other things that have been going on in the community as well. So, Jamie, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, Hi, thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. And I see we have some we have some other guests in the background.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she wants a spotlight, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right? Can you tell us a little bit about how uh, Alcy Bugtug went about applying for this? How did you guys first hear about it?
1: Yeah. So on January sixth or seventh, a guy in our community, McCoy Senate had posted to Facebook saying that um, El had not been nominated yet and that someone should. And over 30 people shared that um, Facebook post. And then I had seen it. So I reached out to my cousins, Malian Levi and Sharona Levi. And I said, hey, we should do this. Like, I think it would be really cool. And the arena is actually named after our grandfather, Albert Levi, who was chief for 26 years. Oh. And he was also a professional wrestler, which is where the name chief young eagle comes from Mm.
3: wow
1: and then my friend kylie had posted to facebook that she wanted to start the bid as well so i contacted her and i was like hi (laughs) me and my cousins both wanted to do this as well like let's all four of us meet tonight and like start planning what we should do and that's how it all began like how the ball started rolling all from a facebook post and here we are (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's great. Well, congratulations on on winning. And uh it's much needed because of uh, the fire that destroyed uh, a lot of the uh of the arena, so that's a good good news. I, I want to tell people a little bit more about the Tug First Nation. Um formerly called Big Cove Band, right? Yes. And you're on the east coast and you're Mikmaq community? Yeah. And, and whereabouts are you guys located?
1: Uh, We're like 45 minutes north of Moncton. So mm-hmm. if you know where Moncton or Miramichi is, we're directly right in the middle.
2: Right. Okay. How big of a community is it?
1: Um, Not that big. We're like two, 3,000 people. And then we live in a place called Kent County. So it's a bunch of little towns all together. Mm-hmm. And in there, there's maybe like to 4000 people so we're not that big right. we're just known as a village
2: <laughs> Yeah I guess it's a fishing community
1: Yeah um for our livelihood um we a lot of people here fish a lot of there's a lot of boats that are owned by our band mm-hmm. um we usually fish snow crab lobster and tuna so snow crab is now and lobsters from July to October and then tunas in October to November, maybe, or just October. I'm not entirely
2: sure on that one. Right. Uh, and uh, Jamie, you don't want to get into too much of the the politics and things, but, you know, we do hear somewhat about some of the issues around fishing and um, uh, especially around with First Nation communities. How is the situation for your community out there right now?
1: Um, Right now, I'm not entirely sure. I know in... Nova Scotia, they're having a lot more difficulties Mm. with their livelihood and with protests and Mm. stuff because people, not all people, but there's a group of people who don't think we should have a right to fish, even though it's in our treaties. Mm -hmm. So that's going on in Nova Scotia here. I'm not like people are in like they support the Nova Scotian fishermen and like the aboriginal fishermen and everything. Mm-hmm. But right now, we're either fishing out of Shetty Camp in Nova Scotia or in Shippigan, which is north in New Brunswick.
2: Right. Uh, now, uh, Jamie, you, I understand, are also a student at this time, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I'm currently getting my master's in human kinetics at the University of Ottawa. Uh,
2: in what kinetics? Sorry, I didn't hear that.
1: Uh, human Kinetics.
2: Human Kinetics. Okay. Well, congratulations. And I know this is a busy time for you. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your, your schedule to uh, talk with us about this this good news, about the arena. And how long ago was the fire in the arena? Uh,
1: the fire occurred in sup- the end of September in 2020. Hmm. I think the fire just happened overnight. We're not exactly sure how or why no. the fire occurred. Mm-hmm. It's still under investigation, but okay. it happened. And my friend Kylie actually worked for sports and rec in Elspook last summer for her summer job. So when she went that morning to go open, they worked out of the arena. So when she went into work that morning, she opened the doors and saw all this smoke. And she called the fire department. She was like, there's a fire at the arena. Wow. And yeah, it was really devastating for the whole community when that happened, because we're just such a big hockey community.
2: Yeah, tell me more about that. I, it certainly seems that from everything that I read about the community, how how much hockey plays a part in the community.
1: Yeah, like, if you're from El Sabucduc, you love hockey, whether you play it or not, because so many people in your family, and your friend group, play hockey, like, my family we come from a huge hockey family and the rest of the craft committees all has hockey ties as well but for our small community we've like produced a lot of elite players like um coming into elsa book we made banners on the poles, so we had i think nine girls who played midget triple a and up and that's not all the girls included but that have played that, and we had at least eight or nine for guys who have played in the Q level or mm-hmm. higher. So,
2: right, and there's some ties to the uh, National Hockey League as well. I understand.
1: Yes, Kylie Francis's uncle, Everett Senapass, he played. He was the first uh, draft pick for the Chicago Blackhawks back in the '80s, and he got to play for a few years, which is really awesome.
2: Right. The community was without its arena. What What was the mood like when that happened within the community?
1: Uh, people were very devastated, for sure, because our arena wasn't just for hockey. It was used all year round. Kids played ball hockey in it. There was mm. training camps. We, played, we have two baseball fields in the back, so those are always used. Mm. We're just a really big, active community, and... Without the arena, it was really devastating because we didn't have the free learn to skate. We didn't have cheaper ice times for other people. We do have a rink in Rishabagtu, which, thank goodness, because we the minor hockey kids were able to still play hockey with, like, the COVID restrictions. And, like, mm. me and Kylie also do a girls hockey team, mm. so we were able to have ice time once a week, but... It was a big um, devastation, like I said, that we didn't have our arena in our community because people depend on it so much and not having it for a year. It just brought a lot of people down on top of COVID.
2: Now, you are the first First Nation to actually be awarded this. Yeah. That's pretty cool in itself.
1: It really is, because back whenever craft Hockey did, they used to do top 10 instead of top 4, so... First Nation communities would make it to top 10, but then they would never advance to top four or to the winners. But so when we made top four, I kept letting people know like how amazing this is that we are in top four. Like we already made such history just being in top four because no one else was able to do that. Yeah. And with winning, I think like a lot more First Nation communities in the future can like also win and also be in the spotlight and also show like, how much uh, hockey is important to first nation people Mm. and it is important to other, like all people as well. But for us, like hockey helps helped a lot of people get off the reserve, even for a year or two, like it brought them out of their comfort zone. And like, especially me, like without hockey, I wouldn't be the person I am today. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of this whole experience.
2: Wow, that's quite a statement to say that you, you wouldn't be the person you are today without hockey. That's quite something.
1: Yeah, hockey was a big, big impact on my life.
2: As it sounds like it is within the, the whole community. How how many kids would you say roughly play, Uh, are in the community that, that play?
1: We have a lot of kids. I can't even hold. Oh. <laughs> over five, between like three and five hundred, maybe even more. We have a lot of kids in the community and mm. majority of them play hockey. Yeah. Like over seventy five percent, I would say.
2: Right. Now, once you, you found out about this, have you heard any more about the timeline of, of what's the, how this is going to happen? Now, you, you've you won the, the, the two hundred fifty thousand dollar upgrade and that's for the arena do you know if yeah. they, if that's going to be enough to cover the repairs that are needed
1: um i don't think so because there is a lot of smoke and fire damage and mm. we're not sure if we have to fully demolish it yet oh yeah oh. because of the frame so that's all in the works now right but I'm not really part of that. It's more chief and council. Yeah. So I don't really know much sure. of what's going on with that. Sure.
2: Now, the other thing that comes along with that is you get the opportunity to host an NHL preseason game, I guess, in the arena once it's completed, right?
1: Yeah, Um, we'll probably do it in a bigger arena just because our arena doesn't have a lot of sit, like,
3: sure. Sit room. Right.
1: But like with that being said, like being a First Nation community, not a lot of people or youth get the chance to leave like going to town or going to Moncton is a Mm. big trip for a lot of these youth Mm. and being able to give them if their first NHL game to go watch and that it's free and like it's for us like it's not for anyone else other than El (laughs) Spokduk is amazing and it's so it's just so awesome and amazing that we are able to give these youth and like people who have never gone to an NHL game before an experience that's close to home and like Something they're never going to forget.
2: That's for sure, especially when uh, the game is so close to the community and and it means so much to everyone.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's gonna be amazing. I'm not sure when it's happening, but everyone's so excited already. Like, yeah, my kid was like, "Oh, I'm gonna go meet a hockey player. I'm gonna drop a puck. (laughs) Like, I'm gonna go in the dressing room." I was like, "I don't think that's what happens, but okay, yes."
2: That's great. Yeah. Well, it's nice to hear, though, that excitement that's building and, you know, just just the the idea that it's stimulating all these ideas as well. But you also get $10,000 worth of equipment.
1: Yeah. So I'm helping with that portion, actually.
3: Okay. And
1: we get either 20 to 25 like full equipment cents for kids, which is amazing. Because hockey equipment is expensive, whether you get it secondhand or firsthand. Mm. It's an expensive sport.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is, for sure.
1: But it's so awesome to be able to give kids who wouldn't have, like, their parents don't have the extra money to buy them the top hand, Mm -hmm. like, the top best of the best equipment. And it's so amazing that these kids will get brand new equipment that should last them for a couple seasons at least. Yeah. Like, it's just so amazing. Like I say, like, I don't really, I, even though we've won like over two weeks ago, it's still like, people are still coming up and thanking me. And I'm like, (laughs) it's not even me who didn't, well, like we started the group and everything, but if people didn't vote, we wouldn't be here. It's literally the whole community's job well done, but it's so amazing to see like the thank you signs, the congratulations signs, like people coming up to me and like my committee members and thanking them. It's such an unreal experience. Mm -hmm.
2: How many people were on the committee?
1: Um, There's nine of us total.
2: Mm-hmm. You mentioned a little bit of the feedback uh, and that you're getting. What about uh, online or, or from outside the community? Are you getting feedback from once you found out about the, the win?
1: Yeah, we're getting feedback across all of Canada. Like, mm. So when we first started, we made a Facebook group, but that one was private and we didn't realize we couldn't make it public.
3: Ah, okay. <laughs>
1: So the day before top four was announced, we were like, okay, well, let's make up a, pro- a public group. And if we get announced, then we're good to go. And if it's not, we'll just delete the group. Mm. And then that day of the announcement for top four, it was leaked like eight hours before the top four communities, like mm. a thing on Facebook came out. Okay. And people were messaging like me, Kylie, Maliana, Shona because we were the only committee at that point. mm So everyone was like, Is this true? Is this true? And all I kept saying was like, I really have no idea. I hope it's true, or else it's just a really mean joke. But so once we started, like within the first week that we had our group, so during the rally period for top four, we had over ten thousand members in our group and now we have eleven point five, I think. But we had a lot of support, like once we made top four, we got Mm -hmm. the word out and first nation people and Mm. just people of Canada were supporting us from the get-go after top four was announced. And it was like very overwhelming with all the support we had, but it was so heartwarming to see like so many people from all over, even from places in the top four, like, uh, Bob Cajun, Mm some school they had posted to our webpage and they said me and my class looked through all four videos and they decided that you guys deserve the vote. So every 15 votes they did for themselves, they did one for us. Wow! So it was just so cool to see like the support we got from all over. And even now, like we just had a parade on Saturday and so many people were messaging everyone and emailing everyone asking if they could come, if they could put in a float. And it was really cool to see that.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you if there was some kind of a of a parade. That's great that you guys did that. Was that exciting?
1: It was really exciting. Like, we started the parade, and right when we went out, like, it was so amazing to see so many people gather and, like, cheer. And my one friend, because we had a little mini powwow afterwards, so I had hmm. asked my friend's group to drum. Right. And it was like, it felt like I was going into a real powwow, like, <laughs> Our community really needed this cuz we've had some hard times yeah. in the pa- this month.
2: Yeah. We'll talk about that in a moment. I want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And, of course, take us with you anywhere you go if you download the iHeartRadio app. And it's a pleasure to welcome on the show uh, Jamie Carpenter. She is one of the people that was part of the uh, Craft Hockeyville Bid Committee for Elsie Bugtug First Nation. And they were Craft Hockeyville's first First Nation community to win. Win the program. So they win $250,000 towards the upgrades of their arena, the Chief Young Eagle Recreation Center, which was actually destroyed by a lot of smoke and uh, and fire damage recently at the end of 2020 as as Jamie was saying. So it's much needed. And on top of that they they win the opportunity to host an NHL preseason game and $10,000 worth of equipment as well. So this as Jamie has been telling us, is a big, big hockey community. So it's really wonderful that they were able to uh, have this winning bid for Craft Hockeyville and, as I say, the first First Nation to win this. Uh, uh, Jamie, you mentioned um, a parade that you just recently had to celebrate this. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult time to have any kind of gathering, as you know, because of COVID-19 and, uh, and everyone is concerned about those things. Were there where there were some rules put in place for people trying to at least pay some attention to this?
1: Yeah. So we had the RCMP with us the mm. whole time. So we made sure that everyone socially distanced and if socially distanced couldn't happen, we mm-hmm. made sure they all wore their mask. Majority right. of our community is vaccinated so that's a big plus we all right. have our second doses for the most part
2: nice yeah great
1: but here in new brunswick it's a lot less um strict than ontario for sure i have family in ontario so <laughs> keep tabs on what you guys are up to right
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah how how many people how many floats would you say uh, were in this parade
1: um we had about eight to ten floats, I think, but mm. people also put in their side-by-sides. We really just let anyone who wanted to right. be in the parade be in the parade. So sure. we had the cops, the firemen. We had a float just... We used to have an old team called the Big Cope Hawks. We still have a team called the Book Hawks, but mm. we had, like, the original team come and have their own float in memory of Jumbo and mm. for him, Yeah, which we can talk about after if yeah. you want, but we had a float for him. We had, like, the minor hockey. We had a lot of floats. Really, we had. It took about an hour to go around the whole community
3: mm. and
1: everything. But we had a lot of support. Every like on the roads, people were coming out of their houses. People were standing on the roads cheering for us. <laughs> and then we offered pizza, barbecue, and chili and drinks all for free. And we had a mini powwow afterwards. And we haven't been able to have a powwow and since COVID because yeah. of the COVID restrictions. But sure. It just felt so healing and Mm. the energy was amazing for the whole day. And I was with my cousin on the float and we were starting to go off and she's like, I want to cry. And I was like, me too. (laughs) Just cry happy tears. And we were just like, it's so amazing that we were able to accomplish this. And like, I told my cousins the night we won, I was like, man, like if our grandfather was here, like I could just, hear how like what he would say to us and how happy he would be and like how annoyed he would have been trying to vote for us (laughs) it's just so like like i said over and over again it's just amazing to be the winners of craft Hockeyville and to be able to fix our arena up and bring a hockey game to all these people who may not have been able to see a hockey game in their lifetime if it wasn't for us being winners
2: yeah well i can really hear it in your voice and i can really hear that release that your community needed Um, not only because of the, the excitement of what happened of winning this program for craft Hockeyville's first, first nation, um, you know, and the upgrades that you're going to get to the arena, but also because you guys had this, this really tragic accident that took place in the last uh, couple of weeks as well. And you've lost two, two community members.
1: Yeah, that was, well, for the first part of it, like, Snow crab season usually doesn't start till the mid of April, but this year it was pushed to start earlier, even though the conditions weren't that good. Mm. And so that ended up in an accident, which was awful. But we lost um, a council member, Craig jumbo soft who was also a family member.
3: Mm.
1: And it was really hard on the committee because there was part of the Q- – key. Uh, crew on the boat was like a couple committee members son yeah. and then it all just touched us because so many of our family members are fishermen like my boyfriend's a fisherman and he learned to fish from Jumbo so it was mm. just all this sadness and we had lost Jumbo and uh, Jumbo and Craig Jumbo and Seth and it was just such a shock from what happened and like how it happened and the fact that it wasn't supposed to happen Yeah, but once we heard about it we had met a couple days later because it was Easter weekend Mm. so we all tried to enjoy Easter with our family and just try to be positive and wait for more news and then we had a meeting with the craft committee and one of the craft committee members had met with the family of Jumbo Sog and and got the permission to kind of change our direction and do it for Jumbo so when the top four announcement Mm -hmm. was made we had a big um, screening at the community hall. And I think a lot of our community members were there and mm. they were with their mask on and everything. But before the announcement was made, they were chanting Jumbo's name over mm. and over again. Mm. And I think, like, because of the accident, we all focused on Craft Hockeyville so much because Jumbo was a big member of the... Um. Sorry, he was a big member of the hockey world and like his son played in the queue all as well and he played on the big cove hawks back in the day and he was the one like who had the hockey profile like the portfolio for Mm -hmm. the council members and so with focusing it to him it helped us sort of heal in a way as well as honor him yeah and like so many people said like the night we won and at the parade on saturday that you could really feel his presence there and it's just, and even though he's not here and it breaks my heart that we lost two people in our community to such a horrific accident. Like I know he would be so proud that we won and I know he's happy wherever he is right now that we won. And he's, and that night we did win top four. My mom and um, my friend's dad were talking and they were like, we haven't seen Elsa Bukduk this happy and this, Proud to be from Elsbuokta since Everett Sundecast was drafted back in the eighties, and that's a long time for a community to not be proud and happy to be from Wow. Uh,
2: yeah. Well, thank you, thank you, Jimmy uh, Gretch, for sharing that. You know, it, it is. We are very happy for your community, but we also feel your loss, and uh, you know, just uh, it's it's you know both ends of the spectrum, isn't it? The excitement and the loss that you're you're feeling at this time. Yes. Well, um, so do you have any kind of a timeline about how long this uh, might take to to roll out or or for the arena repairs to take place?
1: Um, I'm not really sure with that. I assume the arena repairs should start soon, Mm. I would think. Mm -hmm. But for the hockey game, I know the winners in 2020 from Newfoundland, they have not had their... NHL game yet so I know they will have their game before we have ours right so I don't really know much for any of that
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's okay you've been sharing a great amount of information around this and you know around your community and it's really just so interesting to hear about your community and to hear what goes on there and you know of course it's terrible to hear about this tragic uh, accident Uh, with with the fishing uh, boat that that, uh, capsized and and the loss of life. But I also understand there were other crew members that were saved on that as well.
1: Yeah. So um, obviously you don't know who Jumbo is, but he was just a big giant teddy bear. He cared for everyone. Like one of his things was he gave nicknames to everyone. So the days following the accident, everyone was sharing their nicknames and everything, but Mm. Jumbo was the one who saved all of the crew members. He did uh-huh. save Seth, but because the it's April, so the water was very cold, and yeah. Seth unfortunately did not make it. But mm. he was, and he had a very young crew. They were all in their later twenties or early thirties, and mm. but he was fortunate enough to save three of the mem- four members, and sadly he couldn't save himself, but he's such a hero in everyone's eyes, even before the accident happened, he was a hero, but now like he really is a hero because without him, I think we would have lost the whole crew. And that's just so scary to think of like losing five community members at once, like losing two was enough, losing anyone's hard enough, but
3: sure. Yeah.
1: um, He's a hero in their eyes and in all of anyone else's eyes, because he was able to save them and make sure they were safe. And he, focused on saving them rather than helping himself and just making sure he got out. He made sure they all got out and they were okay.
2: Wow. Well, thank you uh, again for sharing that. Uh, That really uh, gives us a different, perspective on what happened and uh, and the, the heroic uh, last moments that he took in his life to save others. It, it speaks volumes about uh, the, the, his character and about your community. And um, I, I want to thank you, Jamie, for taking the time to join us on the show to talk about Craft uh, Hockeyville and the, the fact that you you know, book took one, the program and um, the upgrades that you're going to get to your community but also to share this tragedy and the loss that your community has suffered as well. And, you know, you speak so eloquently and so well about it as well. And I want to want to say to Chimigwech for, for doing that and uh, being on the show.
1: Yes, thank you for um, offering me to be on the show and being able to speak about it. I really appreciate it.
2: <laughs> yeah, our pleasure. And listen, best of luck to you with school as well. Thank you. All right. Well, you take care and thanks again for being on the show.
1: Thanks, you too.
2: Okay, bye-bye. Bye. That's Jamie Carpenter. She is one of the people that were instrumental in the Kraft Hockeyville bid, in which they won. And they are the first First Nation to have won that. And we are so happy for them, but also sad for their loss that they also suffered recently. That is our show for today. I'm your host, David Moses. Thanks for listening to Moment of Truth each and every day. And we will see you again tomorrow. <laughs>